Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right, welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Rick Morton coming to you live from Birmingham, Alabama, talking to my friend and cohort and co-host, Phil Dark, from the great state of California. How are you, Phil? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. As we uh, record this, the chaos uh, surrounding the coronavirus is is happening, so you, you now know when we recorded this episode. But uh, it's definitely causing... Um, turmoil in in lots of lives around the world for for many many different reasons but uh you know co- coincidentally my my uh, family and I have been dealing with the flu bug in our house so it's not a fun time for mm-hmm. uh for for viruses um right now there's a there's a lot of uh, nasty stuff going around but you know what um god uh, is definitely in control and he's still doing some amazing work uh in the lives of of children and the lives of of adults and, and and everywhere in between. So, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good. I'm good. We're uh, you know we're surprisingly well in the midst of uh, in the midst of coronavirus uh, social distancing. Hey, I've learned a new term. Yeah, that right? is very good. Yeah. Um, so we are we are social distancing. Uh, we're you know my, we're doing it in our house right now. All of us are in different rooms, so it's pretty good. pretty cool. Um, but no, man, we're good. You know, first world problems at this point. Um, we you know ventured out and got caught in the toilet paper wars out there that are going on as people are you know losing their minds over that kind of stuff. And um, but but honestly, really, Phil, I think we have. Um, you know, we we really are kind of focusing as a family and a ministry on this is a great time to exercise neighbor love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great time, and and you know, and have really been kind of saying to our to our kids and people in our ministry, and you know, reminding ourselves in our church and places that uh, man, the gospel has gone forth powerfully in seasons like this in, in the past, and so um, you know, in the midst of being a little off base and and things being canceled around us and debates over whether that's uh, excessive or not um, really just kind of choosing to to take this season to say um, you know let's l- let's be the people aren't scared and uh, and let's try to you know use the opportunities that we have in order to to you know put the gospel on display in front of people yeah, absolutely you know I mean there it really does bring into focus what's important you know what what's not. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we pay a lot of attention to that are, that are all, that they've literally all gone away right now. And it's kind of, it's kind of surreal in a lot of ways, but the things that are, haven't gone away, you know, our family, our, our, yeah. our, you know, friends, our, our church, are the people around us, our community. And, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, gives us time, you know, which, which, how often do we have time? That's just un, unhindered with all these things that are going on. And so it's, it's a time that I hope that we can use and remember as a, as a really good time, uh, as a really good time that we spent with our families um, and uh, that we really bonded together, uh, just, just hanging out and, and spending time that uh, we intentionally use um, for our relationships. So, yeah, I was I was really reminded in a conversation, just really kind of quick, but last uh, last couple of days that, 
you know, crisis many times and distress really leaves us often in a place where we're paralyzed. And, and I think um, it, it's just been a real challenge to say, um, let's don't be people that are paralyzed. You know, the, the, the orphan crisis around us is still continues and, and right now needs are, you know, potentially greater than, mm-hmm. than they, you know, than they are at other times. And, and, and let's, you know, let's, let's don't forget that, um, we don't, we don't get to take a pause and we don't get to take a pause. That's exactly right. Uh, no, absolutely. And, you know, and man, speaking of, um, you know, speaking of being active and, uh, and, and flourishing, uh, you know, blooming where you're planted and all that sort of stuff. Um, we, uh, we've got a pretty cool interview today with, uh, Brandon Stiver. So, we sure do. uh, you know, kind of, kind of give us the, give us the scoop. Absolutely. I'm super excited as, as you'll hear at the beginning of this interview, I'm very excited to have Brandon Stiver on again. He has, uh, had a pretty major, uh, life transition coming home from Tanzania, uh, now working, uh, with, as the director of community and church engagement for 1 million home. He's going to tell us all about it. Um, we had a great conversation. He's become a friend. Um, you know, by, by it started with him listening to this show. So I, I encourage you out there. I, I really love it when I can get to know each and every one of you, you know, at, at whatever level, level we're able. So Brandon's one of those that we become a friend and, uh, he's now been on the show as we talked about, this is his third, uh, third spot. So, uh, without any more from uh, me and Rick right now, here's my interview with Brandon Stiver. Well, Brandon Stiver, you know, there's only one other person who has been on the show three times. Uh, well, outside of like the co-host, but that doesn't count. So you uh-huh. are one of those. Peter Greer is the other. You know, granted, Peter had three interviews. You had the thoughts from the field and an interview. But you know what? Uh, You're no I lesser for that. So, yeah, well, thank you. You know, I'm excited to, you know, you have had some life transition since the last time we had you on. So we're going to be able to get into that. I'm super excited for it. You know, what do you, what do you got to say to our audience on the third time? Is you feeling pretty cool? Yeah, no, it's, it's good to be back on. I had almost totally forgot about the thoughts from the field spot. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's great to be back on and, and just uh, appreciate the work of, of Think Orphan, you know, just getting the word out, educating people, bringing people together. So yeah, no, love being back on. And, and yeah, like you said, it's been um, a couple of years and uh, just been going through kind of one transition after another. And, and, uh, but, but still, you know, uh, pounding the pavement, uh, trying to, uh, to help kids make it into family. And uh, yeah, yeah, God's, God's been very good. And, and, uh, but yeah, certainly a lot of uh, changes. So, if, you, if folks, if you didn't hear the first interview with Brandon, I, I encourage you to go back and check that out because he talks about his work out in Tanzania with Kingdom Families. And today we're going to talk about the transition. So we're going to really pick up, you know, from un- you un- understanding that background with Brandon and the work he did there. Um, and so, you know, really over the last couple of years, you have had a transition uh, where you've moved back uh, to California. You've gone to done some schooling. 
Um, and uh, now we're working with with a new organization. So we'll we'll get to all that. You know, keep people in suspense a little bit. You know, we got to keep people listening. <laughs> but uh, you know, can you just talk a little bit about you know why you left Tanzania? What uh, what has happened since then in the ministry, and just kind of what you learned from that? Totally. Yeah. No. I I think. I think a huge thing, you know, just kind of life in general is understanding that, you know, we're on a journey and um, sometimes we get into a certain spot where we feel like we've arrived. I mean, I literally, you know, uh, went to Tanzania initially with this feeling that God had called me to go run an orphanage and ended up doing, you know, working at an orphanage for, for a few years and then said, you know, I think we could do something more. I think that there could be things that we can do to hold families together and there could be things that we can do to uh, to get kids back into family. So that's when kind of kingdom families came around, and then it would have been easy to think, okay, now I've arrived. <laughs> and uh, interestingly enough, not, not long after I started grad school, um, our parent organization uh, decided that it was time to uh, downsize, and there were a few programs that were that were kind of closed up and, and, but we also just saw it as an opportunity that, you know, God was leading us back, um, to, to the States. And, um, so we landed back in California. Um, it was, it was difficult, you know, especially as a family man, you know, um, bringing our kids out of Tanzania, um, because it was home for them as much as it was for me and Melissa. But, um, with the family-based model, one of the, you know, one of the advantages is that you're really building sustainability into that programming. So, um, of course, we always talk about there will be a time when the missionaries aren't here or things get phased out or, you know, that's kind of that's kind of international development in a nutshell. Uh, things tend to be kind of temporary from a project standpoint. So um, we have uh, we had great social workers that were able to close out, you know, cases for families that we were serving. Um, we, of course, had written the book, so that's kind of our commemorative with our advocacy work among the local churches and pastors, and um, there's still, those uh, copies are still circulating around, and, and hopefully the message continues on. So, um, but yeah, building sustainability into programming is, is a really important thing, and, and a reason that we're glad that we were able to finish well and, and kind of help the families along that we were serving. So yeah, all of a sudden, uh, a little over a year ago, we found ourselves back in California and, um, and, but still, you know, pounding the pavement, trying to get out, uh, the community to help kids that are in need. So that's, so yeah, last year I actually spent the year working in uh, foster care here in California. So, which was, uh, which was another ball game, but a related ball game. Yeah, you know, on soccer and basketball, you know, you're still trying to get the ball in the hoop or get the ball in the goal, but the but the rules are a little different, right? You know, and and that's that's an interesting thing is because there's very there's not a lot of people, which is one of the reasons it intrigued me to get you back on the show. There's not a lot of people that go from the the global to the kind of domestic, you know, California in particular, you know, where it's very there's similarities, like you said. There's a lot of differences as well. You know, how was that transition and what are kind of the major differences that you've seen as well as the similarities that we can kind of learn from and glean from each other? Sure. Yeah, no, I, I think for us, you know, we were promoting family-based care. Um, you know, there's a lot of informal foster care um, in in the majority world, um, including in Tanzania where we were. Um, it's not always an ideal thing. Um, there's not a lot of uh, organizations that have really um, developed a uh, 
a strong above board foster care type of system from one country to the next. Uh, often the policies might be there, but the implementation just isn't. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of interesting kind of being in that, you know, boat of promoting family-based care, talking about, you know, foster care and adoption in Tanzania. Um, but seeing so much of the nonprofit sector focus on residential um, solutions. So um, it was interesting to kind of be there promoting that, but then all of a sudden, you know, be plopped down and working in a foster care unit at a child welfare um, agency here um, and actually seeing what does this look like when it is when this is the when this is the system when foster care is the is the first line um, and in California in particular um, it, you know it's 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 a little ironic first of all I guess because um, you know we provide we're in the U.S., we're all about promoting healthy family solutions, you know, trying to keep families together, and then, if not, then foster care. And congregate care really is um, the last line of defense. Um, but unfortunately, in the majority world, sometimes, especially from the nonprofit sector, it tends to be the first, um, even, again, even if the policies don't, uh, you know, do that. So we quickly resort to you know, um, the lowest common denominator in the majority world, which is these large residential models. Um, but in California, um, you know, they're also trying to get away more and more from group homes and congregate care. Um, we have this continuum of care reform, uh, which were these policies that were signed by Governor Brown a few years ago, um, which is emphasizing they kind of took all these different policies and and kind of put a bow on them and signed it into legislation, which is emphasizing children and youth to be in family settings and including doing like intensive services foster care. So kids that would otherwise be going into group homes or treatment centers, um, giving them even an opportunity to do foster care. So it's it's just interesting, I think, the, the level uh, where our, um, the system in California or the system in other states are so strongly family first that it, it just kind of raises this quandary why we don't pursue that more um, in the majority world. And, you know, there's lots of flaws and warts with um, the foster care system that I was working in as well. Um, I think part of that is, you know, finding the right balance of regulation. Um, in California, there might be too much regulation. I mean, California is kind of infamous for regulation. You know, I'm a California guy, so this was the most natural place for us to come back to. And um, there is a lot of regulation. And sometimes it burdens foster parents um, and, can, and can burn them out just from a system standpoint. You know, um, I was working for a community-based organization. So um, we, we really said, you know, it's good to have somebody that will go to bat for you, which is why it's good to go through a community-based nonprofit um, rather than, you know, if there's an allegation that's made against you, rather than having the government be your agency and the government, you know, being the one that's investigating you, it's kind of a conflict. So, um, but anyways, the you need somebody to kind of help you with that regulation. So, um, but... So you can have too much regulation, but then you could also have not enough regulation. And in East Africa, you know, children die from preventable things, you know. So so obviously there's not enough regulation if you have children that are, you know, falling through the cracks that far or they're just living outside of appropriate care, you know, needlessly. So, um, yeah. So while California regulations or just the regulations in foster care um, in general 
might be hard to work with, at least there's an emphasis on, you know, getting kids services and, and there is better protection that's involved. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was, in, it was definitely interesting, um, kind of juxtaposing to, and now working on, on both sides of that. One of the things that, you know, you know, cause you listen to the show and <clears throat> have been engaged in it for a while, but you, you kind of hit on it a little bit, but we have a lot of theory right we have a lot of policies and sure. policies are really theories right when you when you create a policy it's really just a theory that this is going to work to be the best right for sure. whatever you know whoever's determining that in their mind this is for the best interest of the child quote unquote that we hear that standard a lot yeah. right yeah now the reality is human beings are involved so theory and practice there will always be a divide what would you say you know and this is just a obviously your opinion but with regards to the theory practice gap, do you see it larger in the work that you did over in Tanzania or the work that you did here in the United States? Um, well, first of all, it is only my opinion, but my opinion is gold, Phil. So you sure, got nothing to worry about there. Well, I know yeah. that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, of course. Um, I would definitely say that the gap is bigger in the majority world. Uh, yeah. Th there is a lot of mismanagement in um, child welfare in the States. Um, there are a lot of things that are done poorly. Um, there are often government officials um, that don't really know what it's like on the ground for foster parents or for vulnerable families. Um, all of that is true, um, but there's at least a push from the government um, to actually um, do the implementation piece, even if it's kind of um, bobbled um, in the majority world, at least from my experience. And, and I'm sure, you know, you look at some countries like Rwanda, um, where they actually did do massive change. Now they're not done yet, but, um, they actually have, but what did they have that they had the government buy-in, you know, and, um, a president in particular that was, um, very, um, very strong and, and definitely, um, he's benevolent, but also very strong. So you can kind of see, yeah, there was, um, there was that government buy-in. A lot of countries, um, especially where you are seeing these really large vulnerabilities and these risk factors that these kids are going through, um, the implementation just isn't there. Um, you know, I would walk around Tanzania with just the best policies in the world, you know, policies that would specifically say, um, you know, uh, children's homes and orphanages are supposed to be a last resort and they would have all these great policies that they brought over from UNICEF or what have you, um, that would say, look, this is what we need to be doing. They would lay it out. These are the, you know, areas that we need to be focused on, um, to promote a kid's well-being. And, um, but then you look around on the ground and the implementation just isn't there. Now, part of that comes to that interchange between the nonprofit and between the government, um, because if you're in California, there's going to be certain mental health um, uh, things that are uh, entitlements to children, like KDA. Um, there's going to be um, entitlements as far as the appropriate level of care for that, and the money's going to be there as well. Well, in places like East Africa, um, they're also, oh, and then with California, they're going to sign those contracts out to nonprofits like the one that I was working at. So that the so that the nonprofit is receiving money to provide the right service that's within the policy or regulation. Mm -hmm. In the majority world, 
you have the supply and demand, it's kind of flipped. You supply a bunch of residential care facilities, even if the policy says family first. So um, you're not getting a bunch of nonprofits that are coming in and saying, we want to strengthen families or we want to do a milk program or we want to do, you know, those types of things that actually do strengthen families. Um, so what you end up seeing is um, the only service that's available is the one that gets used, um, which in this case would be a residential care facility or an orphanage. So um, that's so it's kind of backwards. So I was in, you know, just in Moshi Urban where I was. There were 17 orphanages. Most of them were not registered. Okay, um, and the government told a bunch of them to close down, but they don't necessarily enforce that either. So there's just kind of this big thing. Now you can go to other areas of Tanzania that have the same level of um, HIV/AIDS, that have the same level of poverty. You know, all those types of risk factors that lead to a kid going into alternative care, and um, you're not going to find a single orphanage. Now, why would that be? Well, I lived in Kilimanjaro, and Kilimanjaro is pretty well known for being a, a tourist spot for people that want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So you tend to see these orphanages pop up, um, the services, the child welfare services pop up where there uh, is tourism and where the money is. So not because you know Tanzania or because Kilimanjaro is particularly more illiterate, it's actually the most literate region in the whole country. Um, so it's not the education piece. Um, it's not the HIV AIDS piece. That's throughout the whole region. So, um, yeah, so so it's kind of it, that, that that's kind of the interesting thing. A, a lot of it gets back to that interchange between the government and the civil society or the nonprofit sector. Yeah. And I, I think that you and I both agree and we've talked about this, um, that a big part of that, too, is what gets funded. Right. Yeah. And a big part of what gets funded is what the church in the United States and the Western world in more in general will fund. Right. Which sure. I think is a good segue to get into what you're doing now. OK. Yeah. So as you know, we could talk about the theory and the practice and all that for a long, long time. I mean, you and I could geek out on that for a while. But I think, <laughs> you know, that that also is something that that gets into a lot of philosophical and things that we're not going to solve today on this show, unfortunately. Um, maybe the next. Yeah, maybe the next time. Maybe the next time. But, but <laughs> right now, you know, now you have gone from working with the foster care um, system mm -hmm. in the in California to working for an organization called One Million Home. Now, we haven't yeah. had anyone um, specifically talk to this. Andrew Schneidler and, and his wife, Michelle, are, are really involved. You know, uh, Michelle's the executive director. Actually, as we speak right now, they're in Brazil um, at, uh, you know, being part of the SEND conference and there and uh, sharing about what One million, million Home is doing. So very exciting time for One Million Home. But what is One Million yeah. Home? And what are you doing with it that, that uh, kind of relates to what we just talked about as far as kind of educating the church on understanding these issues so that the church hopefully is able to fund what will get children into families. Absolutely, yeah. So it's great to catch on with One Million Home. I'm a little over a month in, uh, which is awesome. It was definitely my desire, even coming back from Tanzania, to continue in the global side of child welfare. Um, and uh, so this was a great spot for me to land. Uh, one Million Home, we're a collaborative network. Um, our mission is to essentially help one million kids get home um, and really eradicate practices that separate children from from their family. You know, we're all about permanency. Um, we don't see 
kids living on the streets as a solution, obviously. Um, when you do have kids that are living on the streets, um, a lot of people will go to a residential model, which I was speaking to a moment ago. And um, the, the thing is, that can be a really good intervention, but it's not really a good long-term solution. So the, the pushback that we have with, with residential care facilities um, is that most kids, are not, that's not the best level of long-term care for them. So really, um, it is finding a permanent family. So um, there is an increased push in policy. So I spoke to that gap between policy and implementation. Um, but the policy is also increasing, both at the international standards um, as well as um, various countries, uh, both Western and uh, in the global South. So um, there is a continued push towards family-based care. Um, which is awesome. Um, and there are some organizations that are on the ground that are actually doing it well. Um, so again, as a practitioner in Tanzania, you know, I recognize that there was that chasm uh, between the policy and the implementation. It's, it's pretty vast. So what we do at One Million Home is we support and we promote and we build the capacity of some of the best implementers that are, that are out there. So we are... Um, very heavy in Africa right now, um, just kind of caught a lot of traction there um, with certain organizations and have built a network there. Um, we're now, you mentioned Brazil, um, meeting with care leavers and orphanages um, in Latin America, um, So and, and uh, particularly in Brazil right now. So um, to find who's doing this well, um, whether it's in Africa or Latin America, Southeast Asia, wherever, um, and how can we get behind them and support them so that they can continue to do it well. So, so we're a collaborative network, um, my specific role with um, One Million Home, and, and it kind of bleeds over into other things, um, especially coming from a practitioner background myself. But um, I'm the director of community and church engagement so basically what that means is this is a whole global system. And obviously we know, I mean, we're two white dudes talking about Africa and Brazil right. right now, right? That's right. So, yeah. so this is a global system and um, we have to do work on this side as well. So I'm specifically working with community partners here um, uh, in the States. So that could be California. Um, I'll be at Oklahoma later this, uh, this uh, month. Um, we we're based in Seattle. So it's like we're, we're kind of all over the place, kind of engaging pastors and churches, um, as well as other community members that are stakeholders. Um, either they're a stakeholder in an orphanage and they can see the writing in the clouds or they just want something better for those kids. They want that permanency. Um, and uh, so so I kind of work that front, engaging people on this side. And I have amazing conversations. The The best the best part about my job is getting to sit down with a pastor or another stakeholder um, and talk with them and say, hey, this was my story. Like, I literally felt God tell me, go run an orphanage. And then I did that for a few years and said, mm, you know, what about family? How does this check against scripture? And actually talking through that from a theological standpoint and then talking through that from um, a best practice child welfare standpoint and just seeing the lights come on. You know, I was preaching at a church uh, just a couple days ago, um, here in California and just seeing the church members, seeing the pastor just embrace this and say, yeah, like kids need family. We need to help kids get home. So, uh, that's a lot of what I do. So, and then we do a lot of part of, you know, supporting, which is a, is a big thing that we do. And part of promoting is creating resources as well. 
um, resources for people here and people overseas as well. And then we do have a, a decent sized network so far of committed practitioners that are within our network too. Yeah, you know, this is this is something that uh, is really exciting to me. As you folks know, the the collaborative you know process and best practices is something that we really talk about a lot on this show. And it's something that, that I get, get really, really excited about. But, you know, part of it, too, though, as you talked about, is, is working with these, not only with the churches, but with the organizations out there to bridge that theory practice gap, right? And the only way we're going to do that if everyone's on the same page, right? One of the things you talked yeah. about was you and I, two white dudes here in California, talking about global orphan care. And you and I have been both of them working in it for a long time. And I think one of the things we absolutely need to do is to not have it be where we as the United States are not seen as part of the global orphan care movement. We are part mm -hmm. of the globe. We are part of global orphan care. We are not above. We are not better than. We are not superior to. We are part of it. And that's, you know, going back to When Helping Hurts, which I know you and I have talked about a lot, the idea of we are all broken. We all have broken relationships with God, with self, with others, with the rest of creation. And those are things that we together are going to be able to reconcile. And we can only do it together. We can't do it on our own um, alone, right? So that's something that I think is so critical, and I didn't want to you know, miss that very important point, folks out there. I wanted you to make sure if you didn't get it from Brandon, go back, rewind, listen to this again, because it's so important to understand that part. Um, but with yeah. that, what are some of the ways that that you and One Million Home are working to bridge that gap through the training that you're doing, through the conversations you already talked about? But there's some specific training as well that some of your partners are doing in different parts of the world. What does that look like, and what are some of the different platforms you're using? Totally, yeah. No, it, it, so with us, we focus on being in network and partnering with you know, ethical and efficient implementers that are in the field of family reunification. That is our focus. You know, we've all heard the 80% stat, you know, 80% um, of kids living in residential care facilities have at least one, if not both of their parents still alive. I feel like I could say that in my sleep at this point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, you so what do. that means though, yeah. from, yeah, exactly. I probably do. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to ask my wife. Um, we, um, what that essentially means is that most of these kids have specifically families. So foster care and adoption is not even necessary for the majority of these kids. Mm -hmm. um, now, that doesn't always mean that they need to go back to their family, uh, to their parents, but maybe it's an auntie or an uncle or grandparent or you know, somebody else where they can safely uh, grow. So um, we work with, with uh, yeah, just some awesome people that are in the field and we do we do workshops. So we do like, more like long five-day workshops, kind of just showing people how this can be done. Um, we partner with um, a few of our, our, our kind of top tier uh, partners, um, our Agape Children's Ministry um, in Kenya, which are doing awesome work among street-dwelling children, um, Helping Children Worldwide in Sierra Leone, um, which they have uh, they've done reunification out of, I mean, both of those were former orphanages. Um, that did uh, reunification and helping children worldwide is really great at um, family strengthening as well. And then Alliance for Children Everywhere in Zambia, um, which actually I mentioned earlier how hard it is to find foster care and adoption that's done really well at a decent sized scale. Um, 
in a lot of these countries. Well, actually, ACE, Alliance for Children Everywhere, they do do that, So, um, which is really cool. So each of them kind of have their own niche, and then each of them kind of have their own area. Um, and there's other people. I mean, we have partners in Uganda, like Akisa and Cherish, Uganda, um, El Salvador with Project Red. Um, so we, we have... Um, yeah, just, just a lot of people that, that are, that are kind of putting their hand to the wheel. Um, and then with our workshops, we do it in partnership. So we'll do it with Alliance for Children Everywhere. We'll do it with Agape Children's Ministry, um, so that we can say, well, what have you been doing and how can we replicate that? Um, and also give people the opportunity to contextualize it. Um, we're not just trying to create a bunch of agapes or a bunch of aces out there. Um, what we're trying to do is saying, Hey, you guys have done something well on you know that ground level um so we'll do workshops so um even with agape right now we've just released um our first digital training platform which we did in partnership with them so um and they have a really awesome model i know you know i, I know you know jonathan um and and the good guys over at agape um but uh they um they have been so effective in addressing the street dwelling population of of minors um in kasumu and kitale so um, we did a five-day workshop with them, and, and we took that and we um, turned it into a digital training platform that's free for people to access. So it's going to walk people uh, through what it looked like for them and how they can apply those same uh, practices to whatever they work. Um, because a lot of people are looking for the how. You know, I, I understand that we should switch to family-based care, but I don't. I don't know how to do it. And these. Um, you know, this digital training platform, you know, uh, you know, like the one with Agape that we have currently released, and we'll do other ones with other organizations. Um, you're going to get a thorough er overview of their model, and you can apply it to your context. Um, it's simple to navigate, it's primarily video-based, um, and it's from people that are actively reunifying kids. Um, so it'll point you in the right direction on how to transition your model. Um, it's not like you're going to walk away and you have a master's in social work or, you know, a master's in international development or anything. It's not like replacing those really important, tangible, um, education pieces, but it's specific and it's attuned to actually changing your model of care. So, and it's free and it's free. You can just access that at 1millionhome.com. That's the number one millionhome.com and, um, it'll help you get started and you can absolutely get started in transitioning your model of care. Um, and there's, again, different stakeholders. So we hear from pastors that say, you know, we've been supporting this. I'm also a board member. I haven't talked with them yet. Can you just help me? You know, can you just kind of talk through that with me? Or we have people that say, well, we've been doing reunifications on a small scale, but we want to see it grow. You know, can you help me? Um, so those are the types of things. You know, there's, there is a proliferation of orphanages, which is an on-the-ground type of thing. So we see these implementers that are doing um, on-the-ground um, reunification and reintegration. And we say, how can we proliferate what they're doing? You know, how can we see, see that, uh, see that move forward, um, and really hit that implementation piece? Well, yeah, that's exciting. Uh, what's also exciting is just the, like, like I said earlier in the collaboration, what's cool about it, folks. So some of those places, some of those organizations that One Million Home is partnering with may sound familiar to the, you folks out there who have listened to a lot of these different episodes. Carrie Armbruster, Armbruster mm -hmm. who uh, was the executive director of ACE, 
um, was on the show a few episodes ago, probably more than a few, but uh, quite a few episodes ago. And then uh, Muhammad Nabiu uh, works with Helping Children Worldwide. He was just on with yep. episode 141, so you can go back and listen to that one as well to hear more about those organizations. I love totally. that you know you're working with Cherish in Uganda. Was you know partnered with them um, in connection with In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence. Um, uh, you know to hear the you know Agape is another one that we were on the verge of of going over and helping with that training that you're talking about. You know a little bit yeah. you know go and so there's these people. It's not just talking about collaboration. It's not just saying we're a collaborative project. It actually is doing this and is an example of some of the things that absolutely need to happen if you're going to be successful in these things that you're teaching, right? It's like what we're talking about here on this show. It's what we really, really believe, and I love that you guys are living it out. So um, as we kind of close this interview out, you know, we're going to ask you – I wanted to ask you in a minute about – you know, anything you've been reading uh, since the last time we talked that uh, you think might help our audience. But before that, you know, what are what are some of the just kind of specific resources, things that you have yeah. for the U.S. church? And how are you, you personally and you as One Million Home working with the church? What kind of resources do you have for them, for those people around the U.S. that are listening? Absolutely. Yeah. So that digital training platform that is available right now, I definitely recommend that. Um, I mean, it's going to take you like four or five hours to work through and you can like, you can get up, you know, it'll save your spot, the whole kind of thing. Um, so that's a really, really good one. We do have in-person workshops as well. So sometimes we'll have people that they want to transition their model of care or their, uh, their, you know, a pastor that supports an orphanage. They can sponsor one of their practitioners, um, to come out to one of our longer workshops. So that's another way that churches can be, um, involved. Um, and then of course they can just get connected to people within our network, um, specifically for churches to like use and consume. Um, we are, we do have some theological and some small group resources. Obviously, you know, I wrote the book when we were in uh, Tanzania, so trying to, uh, not be so long winded. And so we'll be releasing actually by the time this is out, it'll, it'll be out as well. But like, um, a small brochure, just kind of talking about the theology, um, of family-based care. I think um, pastors in America were really good at thinking critically and theologically about church governance and our role in culture and all these different doctrines. But sometimes we just take um, an entry-level approach when it comes to uh, caring for the fatherless or, or caring for kids that are separated. Um, so we really want to create a good theological base for that. And I know that some other people have done that as well, but we kind of want to continue that piece as well. So, um, that'll be, that's an eight page brochure, um, that's going to be available to pastors to think through it theologically. We also have small group resources. Um, we partner with Francis Chan, um, to help us with, um, some of our messaging and, and he was out in Kenya with us in Agape. Um, so, uh, we're also using some of his resources um, to do like a small group uh, experience so that people can really get into, you know, um, not only thinking through these through these um, systems, but also from an effective and an, and an emotive standpoint, because we recognize, man, when you're when you're doing the orphanage tourism thing and you go over there and you are hugging, you know, kids that you understand are orphan, that's a very emotional thing. It was for me, you know, and I was, you know, I was the child sponsor. I was the short-term missionary. I was all of that, you know. So it's absolutely me, and it has an emotional response. So we also have to kind of engage that emotion, and the small group experience is going to kind of help with that, to kind of talk through that in a safe, 
um, you know, church small group or house church kind of environment. So, um, so yeah, so those would be a, a couple definitely to look yeah. forward to. We're also going to be doing, um, uh, it kind of like a webinar. I know you were actually helping me think through that. So we're going to be doing some sort of like a connection over, over zoom. See, when I was in grad school, I did it all online. So, uh, I loved getting into lecture and discussion, so it'll be more like that. Um, so we'll be doing that periodically as well. Just to, again, I'm having these awesome conversations with pastors and orphanage board members. Um, we just kind of want to make that more accessible and get people together so that we can work on it, you know, as a group. So. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm excited for it. We'll, we'll have uh, a lot of that on the show notes, and you can keep going back to the website uh, it's one million home dot com dot org. I forgot what you said. Is it dot com dot com? Yep. And okay. and people can reach out to me directly. And please do. Yeah. I, I love writing emails. Uh, I honestly do. So Brandon at one million home dot com. If you're a pastor um, that just wants to learn more, if you are a board member, if you're a practitioner and you just want to join our network, you know, shoot us an email. Um, we would love to talk with you. We have a vision to see a million kids get home. I mean, that's a huge number. Mm -hmm. So we want everybody jumping in. Yeah. And, you know, like like we've talked about numerous times on this show, on this episode in particular, it, it's going to take more than one million home to get one million home. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So, and that's, that's exactly the idea is that one million home really wants to be able to empower and help to equip um, folks out there to be able to help this process and to be able to kind of undergird the people that are already doing it to be able to do it at the next level. So um, they mean it, not just using words, saying it. Uh, so I just uh, I just get excited to see what God's going to be doing uh, in and through this movement. So with that, you know, I, I prepped it. You knew it was already coming anyway. So what what do, what do you have you been uh, reading? Anything in particular that you want to share with the audience that's going to kind of hit you and you, you were kind of, you were in grad school for a little bit. So maybe something there or some other things that you've been reading. Uh, just one of those, one of those things that you can share with our audience. Yeah. I pulled up my good reads to be like, okay, what can I give them? <laughs> uh, that hasn't been mentioned before either. You know, we always talk about, of course, um, and, and I don't even need to mention it because I, as you've said, it's the most recommended book, but when helping hurts, mm -hmm. but with when helping hurts, they pull a lot from Bryant Myers mm -hmm. um, at Fuller Theological Seminary and his book, Walking with the Poor. So um, that's definitely a good book. Um, it's going to be a little bit more, um, it, it's a little more academic than When Helping Hurts, but Bryant Myers is their primary source material. Uh, at least that's my reading of it when I've read through When Helping Hurts. So that's a really good one. I read that one a while ago, but um, just because I see it here, Ron Sider, uh, Rich Christians in the Age of Hunger. I don't know if that one's been mentioned on here, but man, I, I have this like Anabaptist thing about me. So when I read Ron Sider, I'm just like, hallelujah, that's what I want. So uh, his his book is so good. Uh, and, and again, he establishes a theological basis. So for people that really want that, that's there. Uh, super good. Um, boy, I could just keep going. Yeah. Uh, Macro level, why nations fail. That's a really good one from a development standpoint. We learn about you know the importance of inclusive systems, um, especially working in the majority world. So I read that one. Actually, with that one, I did your style. I listened to it on audio, nice. which was which was good. Um, so, anyways, yeah, yeah. There, there there's so many out there. I love I love reading books. So 
I'm I'm all about uh, if people want more recommendations. Yeah, it's always a it's always a dangerous question to ask a book lover, but you know, the nice <laughs> thing is you can send me a list and I can put it on our uh, on the show okay. notes if you if you so desire, or you can you know plug it onto a website blog or something and we can point to it but but yeah it's funny you you mentioned those uh those couple books i actually just yesterday listened to ron Sider on the the uh justice and inner peace or not is it inner peace inner life justice in her life uh mm-hmm. podcast that kfo has done uh jed interviewed ron and that was a very good interview um yeah. so i'm excited to to read that book i've heard so much about it and then Actually, just a couple episodes ago, folks, you, you remember uh, Bryant Meyer's book was also recommended by somebody else. So if you haven't read it yet, that's like a, you know, God saying you need to go read that book. So, I, you know, and, and you're right. It is a, a big source, you know, a, you know, material for when helping hurts. So, you know, it's going to, you know, it's going to be good. So, all right, folks, uh, you know, I, I always, it's always hard to wrap up these interviews because it is so good and we have so much more we could talk about. But that's exactly what we're going to do right now. Thanks again, Brandon for uh you know just your life it's so encouraging to me i've really enjoyed getting to know you and i'm glad that you reached out actually after listening to one of these episodes a long time ago so thanks a lot for all you're doing appreciate it man thanks so much well thanks again to brandon uh i i just really do want to uh let you all know out there that that it's that he is the real deal. He's he's a guy who is doing it. He's a guy who's thinking about these things deeply. Um, I know that he has given me you know unsolicited book recommendations that are very very welcome um, as he was going through his his master's program and and this is a guy who who is not just doing this as a job. He's doing it as a life call. And so Rick, what'd you think of uh, of the conversation? Yeah, man, obviously, um, one of, you know, one of the good guys that's out there. Um, and I, and I think, you know, it was really interesting to me as as he talked a little bit about the, the work in, uh, in, in Tanzania and then, you know, coming and translating, moving over into the foster care system. There was something that really kind of rose up out of the middle of that, that was, that was interesting to me. And it, it's, you know, he was talking about the, you know the challenges in the U.S. system and the things that he, you know, that he saw when he came back and and whatever and and it it really motivated or reminded me, I guess, that um, you know the the statistics of kids that are that are aging out of the foster care system in America without benefit of family are really not substantially different than the statistics of um, of kids that are aging out around the world, and and that. You know, we sometimes we focus on the brokenness of our of our system here, and we focus on the dysfunction. And you know, we talk about all the all the places where, um, you know, where the system is is failing. But I think he rightly pointed out that, um, you know, the the real the real essence of the system and and where the system produces better outcomes is when when those outcomes are connected to family. Um, and you know, and 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 I think. It, it was a it was a very stark reminder to me as he was, you know, he, as he was talking about why, you know, why we're so focused on on family based care, why you know why we're, you know, we're looking at mo- trying to move the needle into you know into moving kids toward family uh, because it's because it's that that powerful and it's you know yes it's God's design but it also is like it's effective it works and. Um, 
you know, and so just a just a great reminder there that um, that the efforts, though sometimes they they feel like we're um, you know we're trying to shovel dirt in the Grand Canyon at times in in global context. That as as we're moving situations forward, um, that any movement we make toward a family-based system is, is generally a good move. Yeah, definitely. And yet there's lots of barriers to that, right? You know, as he talked about, there's whether it's policies that aren't being implemented by governments or whether it's the resources that uh, are going to the things that, you know, people know are there, which is children's homes or, you know, people want to fund it because we've talked about this before on the show, right? That people want to fund it because it's it's easy to you know it's tangible and they've seen it and it and, and and they think it works, and the people on the ground will say, yeah, it's going to work because they want the money, and the cycle goes on and on, and so that's one of the things I love about the work they're doing is is just really the collaborative network that they are creating, um, and and just facilitating as as much as anything. Um, which is fantastic and just kind of kind of putting that that fuel on the fire that's going in these different places right that they're they're just kind of helping it be better right um, yeah what, what well and i think as you heard as you listen to that yeah i think um i mean certainly i think there's you know there's that idea of um you know of of our responsibility at a distance and our responsibility to you know to do things well i i thought it was a it was a well taken point that he you know he even made the connection between tourism and and the you know the the move away from move toward institutions move away from family based care and and again it was one of those things where it was really thought provoking to say um you know, are there are there patterns in the things that we're doing that are that are just that are not even really orphan care specific, but but do we need to con- to begin to connect the dots to, um, you know, to a, to a bigger world, to bigger economic issues? Uh, like uh, th- those are things we don't talk about in the church. You know, I, we're not talking to people about where they spend their vacations or how they you know how they spend their leisure time and and the result of how those things affect. Um, child welfare. You know, we're not we we're, we're not having active conversations about you know product consumption and and you know basic economics and how those things impact child welfare and um, and and perhaps we should you know much much more actively uh, and so there was just a lot that he you know that he said in in the midst of that that was you know that was incredibly thought provoking. I, I think also Phil for me. Um, you know, again, just thinking about the model of the way, the way that they're working at One Million Home, and and this idea of um, of really being focused on collaboration and and, and capacity building um, across you know uh, across a pretty wide array of partners across a wide array of contexts, and and the way that um, that they're really encouraging people to get to know each other, to learn from each other, to, you know, to, to, to grow as, as a result of interaction with each other and then to, to well contextualize that stuff into their, you know, into their given context. And, and I think they really have put forth a, you know, pretty outstanding model of, of a way that, you know, that you and I talk about all the time, but it's, but it's a way that we, um, 
you know we really should be functioning in the body of Christ and uh, and I and I think they're a you know they're kind of a good template for us. Yeah, absolutely. No, I hope it's it's a sign of a whole lot, uh, or I hope I think there's I hope that there's a whole lot of more of this as as we keep moving forward. I mean, we've talked about training collectives. We've talked about you know doing work together. We've talked about the alliances and you know the Christian Alliance for Orphans. We have World Without Orphans. We have these different regional alliances and global alliances. But actually doing the work together, actually collaborating, actually coming around together on something and saying, hey, let's create a a curriculum and training together and let's do it together. Um, And we have different things we can bring to the table. And that's that's really uh, what is going on in these different places. And that's what I love about what they're doing is kind of walking alongside each each organization with what they do really well. And they're not coming in and saying, this is what we do. You do it or you don't work with us. They're saying, what do you guys do? Let's come around alongside you and walk alongside you to help you do what you do really, really well. And, you know, and we're not saying we know how to do it better, but we can come in, you know, and offer some resources, offer some, some, uh, you know, online training, uh, you know, resources and tools and so on and so forth. And whatever they have, they're going to give that to the, to the cause. And so, yeah, I just get excited about that because, you know, it's, it's, they're not just talking about collaboration. They're actually doing the collaboration as they're teaching others how to collaborate and how to work together to, to get kids into homes. And, and that's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's what I love about all this is, is the only way this is all going to work. And you and I have talked about this a lot is if nobody cares who gets the credit and nobody cares what names on what, but we just say, you know what, let's do this together and let's get kids into families and let's let, you know, let's do what we can do together to make sure kids are loved really, really well. And that's, you know, that's happening. It's happening in a different way, yeah. right? You know, and so, so that's what. Uh, yeah, I just I got I got excited with that interview. So, anything else before we go into the uh, recommendations? No, man, I can't uh, can't wait to jump into the recommendations today. All right, cool. Well, you, uh, I'm gonna save yours for last, man. I'm gonna save yours for last because you you got a good one that we're gonna we're gonna hear about here in a minute. The the one that I have kind of goes into uh, um, what we talked about today which is which is really collaboration it's building it's called a one mission and how leaders build a team of teams it's by chris fussell and and it's a it's a book that uh really uses how the military has a team of teams approach to their work and 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 it's it's really decentralized you know, decision-making, but has the one mission, as, as the book title talks about. And so I, I see us in the orphan care world, and what, what Brandon's talking about as far as going out and doing these different things, as we really are a team of teams. You know, we have this one mission of getting kids to be loved in families, in healthy families, in healthy situations that they can be loved um, as our kids are loved. Um, and, uh, but it's going to take a whole lot of people working together. And um, it's going to take a whole lot of teams working together, and so that's that's that book. Um, I, I recommend you you picking it up, re- reading it, internalizing it, um, and uh, and and encouraging others that you work with to do the same, so that you guys can get on the same page and and we can we can all start working together a little bit better. So what do you got, Rick? Yeah, so um, it actually it's it's actually a couple of things, Phil. So one is uh, 
a book that I've that I'm part of the way through, and so I always hesitate to make you know that that sort of recommendation. But a brand new book just came out um, by Daniel Amen. Many of you many of you guys know Daniel Amen, um, but it's it's called the uh, the end of mental illness, um, and and really uh, he is he is in that book talking about specifically about brain plasticity and and about our ability to be able to intervene in uh, in in many things that we have thought were um were were sort of untouchable and unapproachable in uh brain physiology and chemistry and and that sort of thing um but the but the whole resource that i want to recommend is actually if you're an audible person or, or out there and into uh, into audiobooks there's a there's also um, a, a workshop that Daniel Amen has done called the Change Your Brain Workshop, and and I'll disclaim it by saying that there are a few places that he goes that are, you know, probably not exactly Sunday morning, uh, you know, going to be delivered from the pulpit kind of content. He, you know, he uses some examples and things that that may be a little bit of challenging and and maybe even some verbiage in a couple of places that uh, you know that that may take you back, but. Um, but I would I would really say that I think one of the places that we really need to to press in 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 ministering to uh, vulnerable children and, and kids that are coming from hard places is is this idea that there are there are really cognitive results uh, and cognitive consequences processing consequences um, from trauma and and that and that trauma effects in in many of our kids their their executive functioning and i think for a long long time we we have been told and many of us have probably worked with professionals that have approached those things from the perspective of uh that they're sort of they're sort of invariant and unchangeable and i I think there's a lot of hope out there uh, we're we're beginning to understand that that part of being fearfully and wonderfully made is that God has has constructed the human brain in such a way that that there are there are many things that are that are recoverable um, and and that we're adaptable and that God has created all of that into us and so I would just really encourage for those folks that are out there um, to that that are that are working with kids. Um, on a daily basis, kids in your home, and 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 are and are focused on helping kids to to achieve healing, and and working on discipling those kids well. Um, invest some time in in looking at the the current things that are available in in brain based research and and in um, cognitive fitness and in those areas because because I think there are there is hope. Um, and and we and we are we know things today and are able to avail ourselves of things today that that a decade ago we didn't even believe were possible. Um, and so I would recommend uh, you know listening to that audiobook, but then also beginning to seek out some of those resources. You talk about this audiobook thing. I've I've heard of them before, so I'm I'm gonna check Dude, them out. I'm gonna check them out. When was the so. last time you actually read a print book? See, I I can say I read one in January. 
It was, uh, and then I read a, a comic books. I read a paragraph comic books of do not book the other day. Comic books do not count. Yeah, and, I know. And, I read the books, books that, I, and I books that you and books that you have written don't count. Hey, I recommended so. it. It was the one that, that my good friend Ryan Pfeiffer, and we can recommend it again. Ryan Pfeiffer and James Chung wrote, you know, and uh, the uh, longing for revival. So it doesn't count. If, it doesn't count if Becca reads it to you. I read it. I read the whole okay. thing. I read right. it cover okay. to cover, even the acknowledgments. Right. So just throwing that out there. So to start next time you try to throw down, man, we'll, <laughs> I'll, I'm going toe to toe anytime, man, you're, anytime you're, right now. You're like a little, you're kind of the wounded animal this week. You're a little, so. little flu going on. You're a little, little edgy. You're kind of, you're kind of feisty. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little frightened. Well, I'm realizing I'm not going to be able to watch Premier League for several weeks, and it's just really bummed me out. So I'm I'm a little little thrown off. Little wow. thrown off. Yeah, so. I've I've had to take half a baby aspirin to get over that. So, I um, bet. Yeah, I know. I know you did. Yeah. I know you did. It's March, March Madness. madness is also, March Madness. Yeah, that's a bummer. For crying out loud, what are we supposed to do? But like you said, right. first world problems that uh, the people that I uh, <laughs> know out there, some of the some of you out there maybe maybe bumming out a little bit about the Premier League, but uh, there's a lot bigger fish to fry for all of us and. And with that, you know, I just, I do pray that we can um, together take what we learned today, take what we're learning from these resources we're talking about. You know, we joke around a lot, but, uh, you know, there are some really big things that we're working on um, and to get all these children that, uh, that are out there into homes. And I, I do pray that we can take all that we're learning on this show, take all that we're learning with all that we're reading and, and listening to out there and, and use it to know how we can love orphaned and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Alrighty, thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.